Welcome to the Zelda Informer Podcast. I am your host, Alfred Tabex, joined once again and almost as always by the wonderful Nathaniel. How's it going, everyone? So this week's a little odd because we're shooting this slash recording this really, really late. Um, a lot of stuff fell through, but hey, we have the interview with Theophany and Mike Greer, the director of um, A Terrible Fate. So that'll be towards the end, and that's me and those two. Um, we're recording this at like 10.40 p.m., which is about two and a half hours after our, our typical recording time because a lot of stuff fell through. A lot of people just kind of, like, a lot of opportunities fell through. But regardless, we figured that we needed to at least get the news out. Um, we might try to hit some fan topics, but we don't want to keep this going too, too late. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it then. I'm going to start off with something small, get into the big thing, and then kind of taper off. So the first thing I want to talk about briefly um, is the fact that there's that we it, uh, bleh. it was released recently in the uh zelda art book the new one that's coming out that they originally planned for wind waker 2 to take place on land with the typical with with toon link um but there were different complications like his body didn't fit on a horse and it'd be really weird for him to be on a horse um and around that time they also stated that there were lots of movies coming out that were realistic and very fantastical that they also wanted to emulate um in the games i think we mentioned this last week or the week before um is that nintendo saw the trend that things were going in and moved in that direction uh, personally i'm a little not upset that they don't have a wind waker 2 um but i would kind of like to see what that would have been like uh with the same art style uh, not on water on land uh, it would have been weird seeing him ride a horse unless it was like a little shetland pony um but what do you think nate uh for starters i know there's a lot of people that's, that think the wind waker has a sequel. Sequels, because yes. Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. And yes, Phantom Hourglass is a direct chrono- chronologically a direct sequel with the same Link. And then Spirit Tracks is like 100 years after Phantom Hourglass with a new Link and new Zelda. Uh, and like Nico is still there. And it, it's an interesting perspective on things. But none of those have anything to do with Wind Waker 2. And I know it's hard for some fans to believe, but as we just learned in this interview, Wind Waker 2 was supposed to be completely on land and while mm-hmm. Spirit Tracks, I guess, kind of sort of did that, or it really did do that, <laughs> it was all on rails, and that doesn't seem to be what the concept was for this game. It was going to be uh, suddenly more, a more traditional Zelda game in cell shading with Link riding a horse across Hyrule Field. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it sounded like they wanted to do. They were having an issue, as they said, with the proportions uh, in terms of dealing with horseback riding. And before they even got that figured out is when they decided to go in this this new quote-unquote new direction um and i think for a while now we've known why that decision was made uh we Mm. do know that the current president of nintendo japan who was the president of nintendo america at the time uh actually told eg aonomu and the entire zelda team that hey like if you do wind waker 2 zelda fans out west aren't gonna buy it um well not all of them yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, it, it, it was a gross over-exaggeration because there's plenty of people who do enjoy the game. I mean, it sold 4 million units, which is more than Skyward Sword. And got an HD remake. Yes, so. yes. Uh, so, it, you know, it's not that there weren't fans for the game, but it was not really in tune with the current trends at that time, especially in the West with Lord of the Rings. Even, you know, you can throw Harry Potter into that mix if you want, although it's a different type of genre. It's kind of used, you know, it, it was real actors and real settings they were trying to do. Um, and you know, it just kind of, everything kind of revolving around the fantasy world at that time. 
involved a certain direction in artistic stylings that Zelda, uh, many people felt Zelda was, used to be doing. And then the Wind Waker kind of threw it all away. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting... It's dis- really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of interesting discussion, or you know, just around... Like, like I think what I found most interesting about this story is that it, it's not so much that people, you know, there's been a little bit of talk about, you know, what would have Wind Waker 2 been like? What would have it not been like? But it's kind of brought up the whole uh, Wind Waker versus what Zelda was before it and then was in Twilight Princess and hasn't been again since. Uh, it's kind of brought that whole debate about art styles back to the forefront, uh, which I don't think was the intent. <laughs> um, no. Because you know, Breath of the Wild, again, is an entirely different art direction than we've had before. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting to me that fans are so passionate about um, art direction over the core elements that actually make Zelda what it is. <laughs> uh, no one's talking, like, when everyone says, oh, the Wind Waker, like, I, heard, I read a comment today where someone said, the Wind Waker is not a real Zelda game. Well, why? Well, because of the art direction. But it does literally everything a Zelda game is supposed to do. But art direction. Plus, there's no one set art direction for Zelda games. Like, they've been different literally. Well, aside from, like, a few direct sequels, they've been different pretty much every iteration of yeah. the game. And, and I'd argue and The Wind Waker is not even the biggest departure overall for this series in the first place. I mean, you had Zelda 2 go completely side-scrolling. Like, that's a massive departure from what Zelda 1 was. <clears throat> And then you had, you know, Ocarina of Time. It, it, it's a top-down Zelda game, and now it's a big 3D, you know, RPG kind of, you know, Morrowind-esque world going on. Uh, obviously not quite, you know, that big, but yeah. that was that was the impression it gave mm-hmm. off when you were a kid. And then, you know, Majora's Mask threw all that out the window, and so now we're going to have this really small, condensed world that's not even Hyrule, and now you got to work on a timer, and dungeons aren't as when important. We to- and it's like... Zelda has gone off uh, gameplay and uh, you know messed with its core elements, and people don't get upset when that happens, but they got upset over an art direction, and it's really weird to me because messing with the core elements of Zelda actually impacts the games and the series more than messing with art styles, which has been basically messed with with every single game EJ Inanuma has ever released. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because we addressed this last time too, is that there's really no set zelda like you don't look at a game and you're like this is definitely the zelda formula because they're all kind of different mm-hmm. like there's there's like the exploration and the adventure aspect and puzzles the Master Sword. Like they're, they're yeah different elements but like each game's different it has a different core mechanic it has something that's different about the game well, actually that's um, kind of been that something really that's uh like, like you talk about you know core mechanics and set apart that's actually been something that's been really consistent since uh ej anuma took over is that each game is built around a singular idea? Yeah. Um, and Skyward Sword. Some people hate Princess like some people wolf. really hate that because <laughs> uh, Zelda used to not just be about that one idea, um, and now it's really become that way. I'm hoping Breath of the Wild is them showing that it's not just one idea. Um, and based on the demo, based on the gameplay that we've seen, there seems to be a lot of ideas going into this. Like, yeah, the core <laughs> idea is it's open world Zelda, but what does that mean? Uh, and there seems to be dozens and dozens of ideas going into it instead of it just being, like, one idea. Like in A Link Between Worlds. The idea wasn't just to revisit A Link to the Past. It's, oh, we're going to have this, uh, you know, this 
wall merging mechanic. Well, what does that wall merging mechanic mean? Well, then the whole game was built around it. The story was built around it. Um, a lot of the gameplay was built around it. The puzzles were built around it. Like, everything was about that central thing. Like, Skyward Sword, everything was about the motion controls. Um, it, it's... I'm, I'm hoping that Breath of the Wild is refreshing in that it kind of gets rid of that mantra of the singular idea. And the Wind Waker was really the same. Because, like, people talk about this art style all the time. Well, it was really about sailing. And, and the Wind Waker... Yeah, like that. Like that that's what the theme used, was. It was sailing. Like, and the amount of time you used the wind and the wind waker in like the Temple of the Gods was slightly annoying. Mm-hmm. But like, like you said, they're, they're all they all have a central theme. But you also mentioned Breath of the Wild. Of course, and, I did. Hey Nate, guess guess what we got recently? I've been dying to talk about this. <laughs> we got a whole bunch of stuff in two trailers for Breath of the Wild. The first one was called Life in the Ruins, Life of the Ruins. Life in, and life basi- in Ruins. <clears throat> life in Ruins, and it's basically uh, the quote-unquote story trailer and feature trailer for Breath of the Wild because you see things like villages, you see things like... I felt like uh, a real trailer. Yeah, you see people in the villages, you see fights. So I think that you today s- that would make it the... Because like, that first one in 2014 didn't feel like a trailer. It wasn't, um, though. Yeah, it, it really didn't. Uh, obviously, the Game Awards footage wasn't a trailer. Uh, it was a teaser, and then a teaser, yeah. and then... And Breath of the Wild's trailer at E3, that was a trailer. That was a legit trailer. And then the six hours of gameplay. Yeah. And then they had this trailer. trailer. So, like, I, to my, my account, Breath of the Wild basically has two real trailers. Because even the second thing they showed at the Game Awards, that wasn't really a trailer. It, it, that was, it was like, a gameplay. That was, like, E3. Uh, run through. Yeah. <clears throat> so, here, here's some fine points from what we got from the life and ruins trailer um we have two separate women that appear in it that we don't see their faces of course um we see link and then we see one woman that's dressed similar to link and then we see another woman standing next to link in a red cape and a little bit of a darker blue outfit yep. um so the theory is that they're two different women one a lot of people say one zelda one's chic or uh, not chic impa um mm-hmm. which remains to be seen it would make sense for impa to be in the game so um, there's gotta be something chica going on yeah or chic like it's and so, a lot of people have also taken this to mean that the other person that looks and dresses like Link is the other character you can play in the game, which is a female Link. Not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. We'll <laughs> wait and see what happens there. Um, As a note, Mr. Shigeru Miyamoto did say that there would never be a female Link. There's Linkle. Yes, but that's um, a totally separate character. Yeah, no, I know. So, like, if this is a playable female, which we have... You know, really, the attire is, you know, the, the adventure satchel and the clothing. Like, that's what kind of makes people think that. Um, yeah. It's going to be a completely separate character from, like, but mm-hmm. this assumes that it is playable. It might not be. It could just be a flashback. We have no idea. Yep. That's that's one of the prevailing theories right now. Yeah. Um, and then we also saw villages and villagers in them. Uh, we saw a dog walking through alongside someone on horseback. Um, so they, even Nintendo put on their Facebook hey, we heard you wanted to see some villages and then put a village trailer out, um, which was just like two-second compilation of those two things. Yeah, it was just, um, just so it sh- the cut-together footage from that trailer. Yeah, and so they're like, hey, here are the villages that we know you've been asking for to show <laughs> that there's life in the world. Yeah. Um, we saw what appeared to be a rundown castle town from Twilight Princess. Definitely um, which Twilight Which is interesting. Princess. Yeah, that, which is that interesting because we really also saw, saw the Ocarina of Time Spirit Temple. So we have that, and now we have the Twilight Princess 
uh, rundown Hyrule castle area, which makes me think that this is probably up to the, like, my personal theory for this game now is that this is the part between, like, right before Wind Waker. Um, and because of that, because of what ha what the other thing that we got were the bird people um, who are in a ship, apparently at some point. There's a giant bird ship yep. that flies through the trailer. Um, and they're, they look... They're bird people. They're tall bird people. And so my thought is, well, these could be the pre-evolution to the Rito tribe. Or yeah. they're completely off base. Yeah, I mean, I mean because if you... I, I Yeah, I've heard a couple of other people say, oh, these are the Rito. And I'm like, one, yeah. they look completely different than the Rito. The only, yeah. the only similarity is that they're kind of sort of bird people. I mean, the Rito, you had to earn your wings. These, these are birds. Uh, yeah. And two... Uh, like you know, you like you have this theory, you know that this is pre Wind Waker. Wouldn't that be a de-evolution down to what the Rito are in Wind Waker compared to what these things are? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like that's just just based off of based what, off I mean, of this, no, may we, even well, be, this is based off of we don't know it, anything. <laughs> yeah, like like the ruins and stuff. I'm looking at that. Like that's to me. That's like oh. This could either be pre-Wind Waker because they had to flood Hyrule to seal away Ganondorf's evil type of thing. I Again, we have, like, no idea what's yeah, going yeah. on anything that we've been shown. <laughs> That's just what I'm kind of defaulting to. Um, One interesting so thing to note like about that flying ship. Um, there are two different spliced-together scenes for that flying ship. I know a lot of people thought maybe it was all of one cutscene. Uh, one scene of that flying ship, it, the glow from it is red, which we know that's what the Guardians do when they're attacking you. Mm -hmm. And then in one of the scenes with it, because they literally like spliced it together, so it's very, you know, it's easy to miss. Uh, it's blue, which means it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, at, at some point, does Calamity Ganon control it, and then we take it back, or do we have it, and he takes it. And, and even like, you know, you briefly mentioned the ruined, you know, supposedly ruined Castle Town or whatever it was. Um mm -hmm. <sighs> I, I totally disagree with what you're placing it. I, I think that that absolutely means that this is either post Twilight Princess, um, because that is very clearly Twilight Princess's town that did not exist in the other timeline that we know of. Well, that we know of because it went from Ocarina of Time to Link vanishing to Ganon coming back and taking over, and then the world getting flooded. <clears throat> so I guess it is in theory possible, um, but I think yeah. that destruction of that town is from Calamity Ganon himself rather than from, like, a flood or anything. Um, mm -hmm. and it, well, no, that's why I think this is pre-flood. Yeah, see, and I don't think this has anything to do with this, the flood. Yeah. I, I think this is post-Twilight Princess and or... This is where I get really confused, because in Twilight Princess, it did have, like, a ruined spirit temple thing. Like, that's where you get the Master Sword um, from, mm -hmm. our, from Ocarina of Time. Well, we, it, in the demo area that was very clearly at least to me very clearly the ruined castle town from ocarina of time and yeah. that never really appeared in twilight princess so like it's really confusing because now we have like the ruined castle town from there and a ruined castle town from twilight princess really weird um it, it, it kind of almost supports my one theory i had that everything comes together at, and like this is a this is a game that combines all three timelines back together um, granted, yeah. we have not seen anything necessarily yet that touches upon the downfall timeline, outside of the fact that Nintendo keeps comparing this to Zelda 1, which is on the downfall timeline. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe there's a correlation and, we just haven't seen with that yet. But I, I, I don't know. I think the thing where 
the reason why, like, I, I'm behind my theory to, like, a certain point because the one thing that I can't reconcile with my theory is the Karoks. Because yes. obviously those those are the um, children from the, you know, not the Lost Woods. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, what's Kokiri it called? Kokiri Forest. Yeah, Kokiri Forest. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's their evolution is into the little tree people. Yeah. Um, and so if they were going to make the Rito in this game, I always want to call him the Ruto. Uh, it's no. just like one letter off. Um, if, if they were going to put the pre-evolution of that, then we wouldn't see Kuroks in the game. Um, so that's what, like you said, it could be combining them all together. Like there's, yeah, like, again, there's, like, yeah, there's like the no Kor- like evidence the Koroks wouldn't necessarily die off just because the world's not flooded anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe the, the <clears throat> Rito, you know, fully you know, fully saw their evolution and became, you know, this full bird people now. So it could be before Wind Waker, could be after Wind Waker. Could be after that's the Princess, my, yeah. could be, I mean, if you want to take us on the Dollfall timeline somewhere, go for it. Because at this point, yeah. there's evidence for two of the timelines heavily, which is why I'm just like, well, it can't be in both. I mean, I guess it can because Nintendo can just be Nintendo. But um, that's why that's I think true. it's the game that's going to bring the series back together. So even Nintendo has an easier time like making games moving forward because I think even they themselves are kind of confusing things. Um, and I mean, this may even be like a retcon of the entire series. Oh, we God, have that no would be crazy. Idea. Yeah, remember, like, hey, remember, that what la- timeline? remember that last console game we released that was the very first game of the timeline? None of this matters. This, is, the, this is Zelda 1. Have a good day. <laughs> Breath of the Wild. Uh, it's, it's just Zelda 1. Yeah, yeah, they get rid of the Breath of the Wild. They just call it the Legend of Zelda. We're done. done. And they just replace the text with the original <laughs> Legend of Zelda text. Right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so there's so many cr- crazy good things. that You briefly touched upon even the towns. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, what's interesting to me about the towns is it, it, they almost look like they're newer, and they're just starting to get things going, especially that one that's yeah. like built on that, that cliff going downwards. Where it's got the different mm-hmm. levels, kind of like the Mayan cities did. With the person like farming. Yeah, in the yeah, like very early farming yeah. herbs and everything. Like it looks like that town's kind of just getting going. Um, there's also that one building where they're obsessed with horses. Very clearly obsessed <laughs> with horses. I mean, you assume it's a stable of some sort or a market, but you assume. You assume, but you no. don't really know. <laughs> but I, I think the coolest part I, that I took away out, out of all of this trailer, something we haven't quite mentioned yet. I'm sure we're getting up to it. There are two NPCs at one point that are fighting enemies. That's a first yeah. in the Zelda series. Like the out, out, outside of fighting. yeah, like outside of a cutscene. Like this is happening in the world. Like they're fighting Bokoblins. It's like, mm-hmm. did you team up with them or like all the all the villagers and all the people? Like they don't run away anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they actually fight the things. It's going to be like every time you leave a village, you get Navi, but it's Preston Garvey saying, hey, another settlement needs your help. Well, yeah, like, they're, like at, at the beginning <laughs> of the trailer, they kind of show, like, the first NPC we see is a guy walking across the bridge, but he has a spear, he's got his backpack. Like, can that guy fend for himself? And does he fight? You know? And, and even, even, like, the big thing to me is they fight. Can they die? Ooh. Like, Link can die, so wouldn't it make sense if anyone else could die? And if they die, do they come back? Or is that like... That'd be interesting. Does that, like, end quest lines? Does that end... um... Yeah, like, oh, you see these guys fighting, but, like, if you don't go over and help them and kill those Bokoblins, and those Bokoblins instead kill them, like, that's it. Are they gone from the world? Are they going... um, 
Uh, what game was like that? Uh, I'm trying to remember. There was this game I played like many it's, years it's ago. Fallout. Was it Fallout? Yeah. We're like, yeah. NPC died. Like, that's it. They're done. You, you Nothing you can do about it. It's already over. Yep. Unless you restart the game. Unless you reset the... Yeah. Fire Emblem could be like that, too. <clears throat> except that's you, your fault that yeah. the character dies because you, <laughs> you had a bad strategy. Like your, your direct fault if the character yeah, dies. Yeah, like, oh, man, I, okay. I guess I should have healed them sooner. <laughs> yeah. I guess I shouldn't have paired those two together. <laughs> <clears throat> I guess that guy couldn't beast mode and solo the whole horde. <laughs> yep. Things that we wish we could have, should have, would have done. Oh my gosh, I have so many regrets in Fire Emblem. Because that's like the <laughs> only way I play Fire Emblem is characters die. Like, to me, without the threat of like losing people of your party, like, it's not fun to me. <laughs> well, I always do game. it like that. I always do that like that first. And then I experience like the full story with every character yeah. after that. Well, yeah, I, I can see that's... that. But yeah, it, it's one of those, I you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do. This is just really cool that NPCs are fighting for themselves. And I know yeah. someone thought, like, oh, that one that one mm-hmm. in the front is Link. If you look again, it's very clearly not Link. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're two separate NPCs doing their thing, so that's really, really cool to me. Um, if you guys are confused about anything in the trailer, just go look up Game Explain or oh, Game yeah. Theory, and they've got good breakdowns of those, uh, both of them. And, there, and there's one that's pretty much just gameplay. As a warning, uh, if you watch the Game Explain breakdown of this first trailer, uh, make sure you watch their, like... I don't even know how long it was. Their analysis from E3, because they reference that analysis a ton in this video. So, like, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen that, a lot of what they're talking about doesn't make sense. <laughs> like it, and that, it kind of sucks because that analysis they did is like hour long, two hours long. I can't remember. It's really long, um, but it's really, really in depth. So, like, if you want to know everything you possibly can know about the Wild, I really just suggest. Watching that analysis from E3 and then watching their analysis of this because, um, it like especially if you care about locations of things in the map, like they've kind of figured out where all this stuff in the trailer is happening. In fact, apparently they discovered this is something they overlooked in their analysis in E3. You know that that building with the horse head. Mm-hmm. It was in the E3 footage, and nobody saw it. Really? Yeah, there's a very faint hint of hint of it in the background of one of one scene. That is very very easy to overlook, but now that we have it up close of the of the building, that's very clearly what that building is, um, and it's not very far off the plateau. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, like I said, go check out Game Explain. Yeah. Check out all of their and he, and he uh, said uh, videos. he said Game Theory put one up too. Um, was it was it them? I don't know. Because I've been trying to find some more analysis for it because obviously I care about learning everything I possibly can. I'm kind of a spoiler whore. I want to know everything. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm like, mm, let me look up game theories, yeah, stuff, and see if they did one because because I always like their work too. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, uh, shall we move on with the trailer or? Um. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Uh, what else happened after the NPCs fighting? Oh, oh, we we did talk about the women. Um. Yeah. The second one, uh, I think that second one's very clearly. Zelda, I and I know I say very clearly we don't really have any evidence that it's even a, a female well, per se. Here's the difficult thing for me is that the first one looked more like Zelda because of the long hair. Um, the second one, all we really saw was the dark blue outfit, the hand, and then a red cape. Sure. Um, and so it looked feminine, but Nintendo has sometimes made male characters look feminine. Yeah, like, like I, I think I honestly think both characters are Princess Zelda. I think it's the same character. Just at different points in the Maybe. game. 
Um, yeah. Or, like, if that first one's just a flashback to what Zelda's been doing this whole time, Link's been asleep or something. Um, mm-hmm. And then, finally, she realizes, like, who she is again. Because how many coming of Zelda realizing who she is stories have we seen? So I can totally get to see. play as Zelda. I mean, that would be cool, especially if it's. Um, I know some people. Flashbacks. Some people are still like, "Oh my gosh, I, I really want this option to play as Zelda or Link at the beginning," which very well could be a thing. Um, I think it would be cool if instead, like Link's the main protagonist, as we as expected, as suggested to us, but mm-hmm. that there are sections that you could play as Princess Zelda. That like you are, that are op- like, even flashbacks or or optional yeah. side quests that involve you know a, a story arc for Princess Zelda if you want to learn more about her, um, and that kind of opens the door to like tons of different side quest areas where you could end up having I, I don't know why they would do this but just as an example, Happy Mask Salesman's back and you could do a side quest playing as him collecting masks <clears throat> for all, all over the world or something like it would be really cool to explore some of these other characters through their own eyes, um, yeah because this is such a massive world right. Um, there's going to mm-hmm. be so many stories to learn. Uh, it would be cool if not all of them are through Link's eyes because you don't. You only get that one perspective. You don't really see you it. Get that one, one silent perspective. Yeah, you don't really see uh, from the character who this story is about uh, how it affects that per se. Um, like I think it would have been cool if in some of those flashbacks in Twilight Princess, if you could have played as Minda and like went through those flashbacks through her eyes. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would have brought a whole different perspective on what her struggles were and why she was who she was and why you know her personality evolved. Like, I, I think that's something that would be sweet to explore. Well, and that's a really effective storytelling method too. Is being able to play through the character, um, seeing things or acting through things is a lot better than watching them do it. Sure. Um, because instead of a passive observer, you're an active participant in the action. Well, they even that do that. Like more. a lot of, like at least some of my favorite movies, they even do that. Like you have your main protagonist, like he's the one you're following most of the time, but you have scenes where it goes away from them to show what's going on with other characters you start to care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really helps explain things, even if the main protagonist isn't there or isn't there yet. Um, <clears throat> so I'm I'm hoping they do that. Like this is giving Nintendo way more credit than they've ever proven they they they, <laughs> they should have. Because Nintendo's never done this in like any game they've made besides like you know Mario offshoot games, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping like I, I my expectations keep getting higher and higher the more I see of this game. So I my bar is so high now that I know it's unrealistic. <laughs> the game cannot be as good as I'm hoping it is, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be even better because it might it might let me down in some of the things I'm expecting, but then blow me away in things that I don't <clears throat> expect. So yeah. So we good on that. Yeah, topic? yeah, I think we're good on that. That we now we didn't talk about the gameplay trailer yet. There's really not too much to talk about except for like the very end, because we saw some fighting. Yep. And the fighting looks good. I like the fighting mechanic. Well, um, the way we saw there's a couple things we saw actually. The for starters, um, they reinforced the multiple paths. Like at first, Bill Trinan just went headstrong in because they were trying to get to like this cave or whatever. And Bill Trinan just said, yep, I'm just going to go mash through all the mobs and get there. <laughs> and he just got wrecked. Like, just totally wrecked. Um, in fact, at one, at one point, Lizalfos, of all things, did seven and a heart's worth of damage in one hit. Yeah. Like, that is insane, especially if that is an enemy that's just chilling in the overworld. <laughs> like, like we're not talking about a guardian now that can blast you for eight hearts. We're talking about just a Lizalfos. Even when they're a mini boss, they don't do that much damage. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So like 
that already lets you know there, there's some high difficulty if you make, like, the, the enemies themselves might not have difficult, uh, like, once you figure out their movements, might not be hard to beat, but if you do make a mistake, man, the game punishes you. Uh, which mm-hmm. is good. Like, to me, that's good. Like, especially if that's in the base game and wasn't some hero mode thing. Because if it ends up being a hero mode thing, then I'm going to just be disappointed that that's not the base damage. <laughs> so then the, the original base game doesn't exist in my mind. It's just hero mode. Um, and then uh, after he died, uh, I think it's Nate Bildorf, I think is his last name. He takes over, and he goes a completely different path, climbing up some cliffs and kind of going around the enemies and stealthily taking them out with his arrows, um, mm-hmm. doing headshots even. He hit one where, uh, where it shows there is greater range on your bow, um, you know, if you shoot it up higher, but you know, you're not gonna be able to use the reticle then to, to aim perfectly, which is kind of like what it is in real life. You want to shoot your bow farther. You can't look down the sight. Um, you got to kind of just get good at using the bow, which he is. Drop off. Yeah. Apparently he might've been the guy who, um, in the E3 footage when, uh, you know, he flipped off the, the horse and destroyed that guardian, like just looked like a badass doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, apparently he was the one that recorded the footage, so he might be, like, the best Breath of the Wild player on their team or something. Like And you, it really came through, like, when he was playing, and maybe it was on purpose, but, like, he looked like he was, like, a whole nother level that Bill Trennan's not even close to. Um, anyways, like, he was stealthy going through things and, and kicking enemies' butts. Um, it was really kind of cool. Uh, I, I think, to me, there's the multiple path thing, which is great, because that means play Zelda your way which mm-hmm. is what it really should be in an open-world game. And they've been reinforcing that a lot yes, they have. with this game. Yeah, so it was like nice to see a situation where they have a target they're trying to get to, but there's more than one way to get to it. Like, on the plateau, there's not really more than one way to get to anything you need to go to. Um, <laughs> you want to go to that that cave, just walk there and blow it up. You want to go to that shrine, walk there and go in. Like, like there's no, there's not a lot of, uh, like, you can go anywhere you want, but... To get to specific things, it's just you're doing the same thing. Um, I mean, there are there is one aspect where you can go around and up the mountain, or you can just climb up the mountain. But either way, you're just walking to the same place. Like, th- there's no real benefit either way. It's just which way do you want to go? Uh, whereas this shows like you can go in head first and take on a bunch of enemies, or you can go around. Like that's really cool. And then uh, I wish they would have went inside. Uh, I know, but another... they were like, "There's something. There's something big yeah. back there. There's a really big secret." Uh, like something really cool. Another cool thing I liked was the stealth enemies that were hidden in the grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really sweet. Because here he was scouting up ahead <clears throat> at a bigger enemy, like the, like the mini boss or whatever, that was, you know, the big guy stopping you from going to the end of this cave or whatever. And all of a sudden these enemies pop out of the ground, like four of them. Now, I only saw two, like you could kind of see them when he's walking, like, oh, I can kind of see those two things in the grass. Uh, but are they enemies? Are they like cactuses? What's up with that? And then all of a sudden, four of them <laughs> pop up, and you're like, what is happening? So that was really cool, because that means the enemies use stealth. Uh, the other thing that was cool was when he threw that bomb to blow up the big guy, and the guy purposely walked around the blast radius of the bomb. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, they're smart AI. I saw that, game. yeah. Like, they they're not the AI. Yeah, like, you can't just kite enemies in the easy bomb kills. Like, that... <laughs> That's clearly what he was trying to do, and it must have worked earlier in the game, but, like, it's not working there. Um, yeah. So, like, that's kind of cool to me. Like, there's all this varying AI uh, smartness or not, or, you know, lack of smarts, depending on what enemy you're fighting. Like, Boca Blims obviously seem like idiots. Um, <laughs> but even in their idiots, they still seem a hell of a lot smarter than any Boca Blims ever been before. Um, well, but- I'm wondering, too, because uh, I don't remember 
man. It might have been... I want to say it's The Last of Us that does this. Um, I might be completely wrong. <laughs> uh, depending on where you favor hitting a character or hitting an enemy, yeah. like, eventually over time they reinforce those areas. Ah, uh-huh, so, like, yeah. You do Smart a lot of AI. Headshots. Yeah, they'll put, like, helmets on. If you do legs, they'll put, like, sh- uh, yeah. shin armor so on. If so, you, we might... so if you always use bombs, they start, you know, walking away from the bombs. You know, like, they, they know, like something like, like that. Like, like, they start learning your, your habits and try to make you f- beat them a different way. Well, and the best part about that is, too, is that you don't get too static with your attacks. Because yeah. then it gets well, really Well, because yeah, I can see how, the, in this game especially, like, it can get probably really easy to just cheese your way through with a bomb. Mm-hmm. Just throw it in the camp and blow it up. Don't they just regenerate? Like Yeah, and they re- you have unlimited. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a little timer, which is the, you know, the so-called downfall of it, but it, it's really not a big deal. You have unlimited bombs, and you have two different types. or three different types. No, two different that we know of. There might be upgrades for it later, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's. I, I just thought that was really interesting. Like the biggest thing I took away from the gameplay is the enemies are still hard. There's still two different ways to go, and the AI is very intelligent compared to what we're used to. <laughs> compared to what we're used to, yeah. yeah. Um, and the game still looks gorgeous. I mean, this was clearly a Wii U. They show them using the gamepad, so that was my one complaint. Yeah, was that they did not show native Switch footage. Yeah, um, I know they're January saving it for 12th. January. Yeah, mm, I know. A month but, away. Like, this, it's like, okay, well, we've seen the Wii U enough. Right. Let's go ahead and show Switch footage, but, you know, there's not much we can do about that. Like, it still looks good, so if it looks great on the Wii U, it's going to look even better on the Yeah, Switch. I'm really... We hope. Yeah, I'm scared that because they keep showing Wii U footage that the Switch footage isn't going to be that impressive. Um, well, here's my, here's my thing is that I'm wondering, too, this is kind of off topic for a moment, <laughs> is if they're trying to do, like, another infrastructure with the Switch... And one of the things a lot of people have been complaining about um, with Nintendo is their lack of achievements. How are they going to handle achievements on the Switch that aren't on the Wii U? Like, not like it makes sense. Like, it's obvious they're going to put them in the Switch version. They're not going to put them in the Wii U version. But like, I don't, I don't know where I was going with this. Um, well, there's games on Wii U that have achievements. It's just yeah, game but it's like based. native, it's yeah, native it's not, game yeah. achievements. Yeah, it's not like s- Bayonetta Two has achievements that you get in the game. Yeah, but it's not like a an overarching achievement system like uh, PSN or basically Xbox. it doesn't track your global achievements because yeah, like it's still game to game basis on you know Xbox outside of like you know where you have oh you platinum this many games or whatever. Um, yeah. but like they have a global system to keep track of it and there's really no point to all those gamer scores they mean nothing it's just bragging they're rights. just bragging yeah bragging rights. like they literally mean nothing like oh okay like i've played more games than you but you have 100 percent of more games than me so you have more platinum and, and more points like okay i really don't well, care one of the things too <laughs> is like they're one of the things that i like doing sometimes is finding like secret achievements like in Dishonored 2 there's like um you have this possession ability. It's like switch from a fish to a rat to a human to like a hive keeper or something like from all these different things, you have to possess them all in a chain. And that's one of the like rare achievements that you can get. And that's kind of one of the, I don't know. That's not for everyone. I know not everybody's an achievement hunter and I don't really consider myself one. <laughs> There's just sometimes that I'm like, Hey, this is a fun game. I want hundred percent it or, or uh, platinum it. Um, and I know that a lot of people really like doing that. And so I've always been wondering, like, okay, is Nintendo actually going to implement this kind of a thing? Well, well um, the one the thing Switch? I like about achievements, because 
I'm not a big achievement person in, in these kind of games because I always felt if your game is so good, you don't need to give people incentives to enjoy it more. Yeah. Um, so it should need achievements to be good. <clears throat> but a lot of people play games either for achievement hunting or because um, they just, the, they're kind of bored and the achievements give them something to do. Uh, yeah. And I hate that because the game shouldn't be boring. It should be good regardless of achievements. But I, one thing I do like about achievements is uh, for people that 100% the game, uh, normally to do that, you have to pre-plan. You have to know what you need to do to mm-hmm. do it. And achievements can kind of give you that checklist of items you need to complete in order to 100% the game. Um, and well, I, it's, I, it's and I, like... I think that's really cool because I, you know... I admit, the first time I, I, I play each Zelda game, I don't 100% it. I don't really care about that kind of thing. I'm trying to enjoy the story, enjoy the world, enjoy the characters. Then I'll come back in a second playthrough and be like, all right, what did I miss the first time? Well, like, the only game that's really in, uh, included that has been Majora's Mask with the Bomber's Notebook, which I would yes. kind of consider an achievement system. Yeah, that's basically an um, Indian achievement system. For the but I think, like, like you said, we, like, people that like to collect achievements, they like bragging rights, they like having a high gamer score or whatever, um and and it's a good checklist i i hope that it's on the switch i'm i'd be interested to see if they put it in or not if they don't have a if they don't have achievements like we don't even know if achievements are a thing on the switch but if they don't have a global achievement system when everybody like my phone has it like (laughs) like i mean (laughs) it it can't be that hard to implement a global achievement system because even if nintendo doesn't want to use it the third parties will yeah. Um, so. Well, because that means they don't have to take them out of their own games. They don't have. To it take also out means that, that you know, regardless of visuals and performance and everything, there's still a disadvantage for those who like achievements. Like I'm gonna play the Xbox mm-hmm. One version because it has achievements, and the, you know, the Switch version doesn't have it. Um, yep. When there's no reason for it not to. It, it doesn't take up much processing. Um, games were already including the achievement. You brought up in that too. Like games were already forcing the achievements on the system in the first place. Um, so. Yeah, no, yeah, we got a little off topic. Do you have any other news you want to talk about? Um, there's there's a few things. These are small things. Um, we heard that Nintendo and Universal, we heard this a long time ago, <laughs> that Nintendo and Universal were partnering up. Yep. Um, but we recently got a video with, uh, was it Miyamoto? Yes. Yeah, walking through Universal, and I think it was... It might have been Orlando. It's Orlando. Yeah, um, yeah Universal Orlando talking about, like, we're going to put in attractions here, and there's going to be Nintendo-themed things in Universal. Um, and so we're that much closer to that partnership. Um, and I'm I, I'm interested. I'm excited for that. Um, I love theme parks. I, so Yeah, I do too. This is pumped. I love Universal the only sad thing, as a theme park. Like, they announced it, right? Um, like, mm-hmm. the, big news, the big news out of it is that Universal's three main parks. I think they might only have three. I don't know, but it's the, Japan, California. Yeah, and the, the 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 two parks in the United States and the one in Japan are all getting attractions. We already knew about the Japan one because that opens in 2020. Um, that's mm-hmm. the target date for the opening of that sometime in 2020. We have no idea for the target dates here. I I think it was kind of cool. You know, it, it was their their way of announcing that hey, we're coming to all these Universal parks. Like, that's that's great. It would have been cool. which is good. It would have been cool if. Because I'm a theme park enthusiast, right? So, like, okay, I knew Nintendo was going to Universal Japan, so I had a feeling that it would eventually come to Orlando in California. But when you're doing these videos, you need to tease us with something, man. There was, like, no teasing of what's going to be there. It's like, just wait until we decide we want to talk about it. Have a good day. It's like, eh. I'm excited, but then, like, 
you could have told me like, oh, we're gonna have a Mario Kart attraction. Just leave it at that. Like, don't talk about anything yeah, it's else. It's like, well, what are you, what are you gonna make into an attraction? Or, or like, even, even say like, these are the franchises that we're gonna represent. Like, yeah. clearly Mario is gonna be one, especially in the mm-hmm. video. They have Mario stuff everywhere. But is there gonna be other franchises? Like, you could have the things did something like that even where you, you maybe don't reveal what the attractions are, but you can reveal what franchises are involved. Um, heck, maybe now instead of one Nintendo World Store, now you'll have three more. Because you'll open oh, one, one at each, like that would make a lot of. Oh my god! That gosh. would be a, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, some of the things like if you think about like the technology that we have in theme parks, like things that I can see, um, probably like a Luigi's Mansion ride where you have like those cheap plastic guns, <laughs> uh, kind of like Buzz Lightyear at, at Disney World, <laughs> where you shoot and you you take ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you could take a darker and be Metroid Prime. I don't know. Um, I doubt Nintendo would use Metroid. Um, but like, like you said, Mario Kart, stuff like that, like things that are, are already out there, but have different name brands yeah. on them are instantly going to drag people in. I hope um, it's like, there, there's clearly, there, there's going to be a Mario Kart track. It's just going to be a thing. It's going to happen. <laughs> it makes too much sense. Go-karts are really, everyone likes stuff. go-karts. Like, I don't know how they're going to make it Mario S besides driving a cart, like around <laughs> a, a Mario themed track, because uh, you know, if you're not being able to throw items, it might be considered too dangerous. Um, <laughs> Throw a shell at someone. Yeah, right. Uh, the only thing I think of is like maybe it's like a virtual item and like it's like a little gun. Yeah. So like you press a button to shoot your shell and if you hit the person, like their cart shuts down for like a couple seconds. Um, I can see that. But being, that, that's, that could also be a little dangerous it, too. Though. It could be, but you know people are hitting each other on these tracks all the time. Kind of depends on how yeah. fast it's going. It just yeah, it it, it depends. Um, um, otherwise, besides that, I'm hoping that all the attractions we get are like new, fresh, original ideas, because. As cool as it is to see some of my favorite attractions rebranded <clears> to <throat> Nintendo, it's still something I've done before. Ooh, what if they did a Pokemon Snap themed one? I thought about that as a, a like I thought about like maybe putting it in like a lazy river. Yeah. And then making it a whole Pokemon Snap themed thing, and then you know towards yeah. the end like hit you hit rapids and get wet a little bit, and people start freaking out because their phones just got dirty. Um. Or like a <laughs> and a Gyarados pops out of the water, something like that. Yeah, just yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought. You know, you know, just something original rather than just taking other people's ideas for other yeah. other attractions. Because then, my my only complaint I have when I start visiting theme park to theme park to theme park is that like they all have the same stuff, just with a different theme, mm-hmm. um, and that's upsetting to me. Like I I feel like we need some more new original concepts for rides, and I'm hoping they come up with stuff for this. <clears throat> uh, Nintendo's very creative. Universal is very creative. I'm sure they're gonna come up with something that that works for both. Um, I just don't know. What, like, I almost don't even want to speculate. Like, I want to be surprised because, like, otherwise surprised. I'm going to come up with great ideas and then I'm going to have to go patent it because <laughs> no one's going to do it. So I need to patent it so I can do it. <laughs> Isn't that how this usually goes with us? Like, oh, we think totally. of these great ideas that we know are never going to happen. I know. I guess I'm um, writing this stuff down. So I'm I, I'm going to need your help with this last one. Oh oh. Because I don't know what any of these are. Oh oh. So THQ Nordic. Yes. announced that they're making two games for the switch yes um thq nordic is a company that was it wasn't thq originally i don't remember what its name was nordic games. um but it was nordic games that's right they they bought some properties like darksiders um they bought Dar- and, yeah and they bought in the fire sale of thq they ended up buying like 75 percent of the ips and they yeah. actually bought the thq name itself and so they have they rebranded themselves THQ Nordic, um, which is interesting. 
Uh, that happened a while back, and they have they're announcing two games for the Switch. But they also grabbed three IPs recently, and I don't know what any of these are. I've never heard of them before. Okay. So the first one is Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy from Mobile Game Studio Limited. Uh, War Leaders Clash of Nations from Enigma Software Productions, and then Legends of War Enigma Software Productions. I've never heard of those games before, but AHQ Nordic stated that the reason why they acquired these, um, and um, and they're talking about them now. It's because they sound like, quote, games that Nintendo's audience, or games made for Nintendo's can audience. You, can you repeat that first game again? Uh, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy uh, from Mobile Gaming Studios yes. Limited. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm um, glancing at that one quick because mm-hmm. I think I've actually played this game. My hope, <laughs> of course, you probably already know what I'm going to say, is my hope it has nothing to do with any of these and we're seeing Darksiders 3 come out. Obviously. Um, in a similar fashion to what happened with Bayonetta, in that Bayonetta 1 happened. But it wasn't a, a Nintendo game at all. But Nintendo took that company, and they gave them funding to make Bayonetta 2 as an exclusive for the Wii U. So what would be really cool is if Nintendo was like, hey, we want you to make a game for the Switch, we're going to fund Darksiders 3. And it's going to be an exclusive for the Switch. And then we get like a War Amiibo and a Death Amiibo. And it's, it's so, it's, yeah, like, my, my biggest worry with the at least the two games is that it's just going to be Darksiders War Mastered and then the Darksiders 2 one they're doing. And that's going to be it. Uh, I mean, I don't think... Darksiders 2 one. Okay, sorry. I don't think it's going to be it because they clearly hinted that they got these IPs with an eye towards Nintendo. Um, so well, Darksiders Two's already come out for the Wii U. I don't think that they so, re-put so that out. To give again. you like all the I, those new IPs they got, they were all published by THQ. So it's just adding okay. more to their THQ repertoire of, of things they own. Um, the one I recognized the most was the first one you said, the Sphinx and the Curse Mummy, and I kept trying to think why do I recognize it? Um, because it is an action adventure game that's single player that basically sounds like Zelda. Um. It here, here's like a, a summary of it. It came it came out back in uh, 2003, November 10th. Um, if it's the player falls into the role of a demigod named Sphinx and the undead corpse of Tutankhamun, uh, Sphinx's role is one of a brave warrior who battles fearsome monsters and relies on raw power to complete tasks. Tutankhamun, also known as the Mummy, revolves around puzzle solving and logical thinking to outwit his foes. And there's like a, a giant plot for that game. <clears throat> the game it was only ever uh, I think it was only ever one game. Um, and then they did release a, a quote-unquote mobile version in 2004. And again, that's not when people most think about mobile because smartphones weren't around 2007. Um, but it was a it was a, and then they released like a Java version later uh, that ended up being just complete garbage. Um, that's no surprise. <laughs> it's, it's no surprise. This game wasn't meant to be played like that, but you know whatever. This this is what THQ was doing. Um, maybe part of the reason why THQ doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, well, among, among massive spending problems they had. So, uh, that's the one that I'm actually really excited about because that, that does... the, the I, I played this game. I'm, I'm drawing up like you know, specific little memories of playing it. It reminded me a lot of a Zelda game that just never made another one. Um, so, they kind of had this game and they just kept redoing it and re-releasing it on new platforms instead of worrying about making something new. Uh, I, I think this is the game that you know, when they say, oh, this is like a Nintendo-esque game, this feel like 
like you can go watch video of it. It, it feels like a Nintendo S game, um, like mm-hmm. like a game Nintendo fans would totally buy. Uh, you know, it would have to be rebooted, of course, because Nintendo fans aren't going to know what this game is. As you just said yourself, I've never heard of this game. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the one of the three I recognize. The other two I've heard names of, but I'm not quite sure what they are. I'd have to look them up. I don't know if those are mobile games that that the company made. Um, but you know, like e- even just drawing up a quick gameplay of this, of this, uh, this let's let's play Skins and the Curse Mummy, Mummy Let's Play that I have here. Um, it's a 3D action adventure game. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is Zelda. This is really cool. Um, so I, I would love to see them do this. And, and I know you said like you know it was interesting that they changed their name to THQ Nordic. Uh, apparently they plan to always do that when they got the THQ name. Hmm. Um, like they just didn't want to do it right away because they thought it would be disrespectful. Uh, to well, THQ. Also, it'd be like first it'd be disrespectful, but then you'd also be like. Okay, so they're naming themselves after the comp- a financially bankrupt company. Yeah. Um, so like- the reason that they did it is because, or the reason they renamed is because they wanted to signal um, that they themselves were becoming like a serious game maker because before this they had done like mostly mobile games. Mm-hmm. Um, like they weren't really. Nordic? They weren't really big on like making home console kind of games, yet they got acquired all these home console IP uh, that. They, you know, n- no one had any idea if they could do anything with it. So, you know, the War Mastered Edition, obviously the Death Whatever Edition, um, is, is kind of their first foray into trying to understand the Darksider series. So that could, that, obviously those do well. They're well-received. You know, that could lead to a Darksiders 3, which is, I think, what a lot of Darksiders fans hope. You know, why would this company okay. acquire the Darksiders IP but not plan to ever make a new one? That, that just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um and that's kind of the way I see this, you know, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy. I really hope that that's going to lead to them, you know, probably either remaking the first game entirely or just rebooting the whole franchise. Um, because I think this is a game that could do very well on Nintendo, uh, especially if it releases on an off year from Zelda. <clears throat> so, like, Breath of the Wild comes out next year and then the Sphinx game comes out the year after. That would work really well in my book. <coughs> and it's a third party game, like mm-hmm. a AAA kind of game. So. Well, like, if you look at some of the games that they made to stand out, uh, THQ Nordic, I mean, um, Ori and the Blind Forest and then Quantum Break. Yes. Like, both of those games yep. are are and were huge games. And then the Alan Wake. Alan Wake's a big game. Yes, yes. Um, but these these are games that they have made, yep. have released, that have been, like... Ori and the Blind Forest is fantastic. Yeah, it's it's... Was it, it was probably in the running when it came out, if, if it was in Yeah, it, it was one of the best Xbox games at the time. So yeah, I think it was Xbox yeah. exclusive. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, Quantum Break was Xbox exclusive. And that game that game's not bad. It's okay. Um, it, it's another game like Watch Dogs, where the premise of it sounds cooler than the reality of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but it's still, like, it, it's a good quality game. Like, they, they make quality games. So the hope is that they can revive, you know all these quality IP that THQ had at one point um, and not screw it up. And mm-hmm. we, we have no idea if they're going to. I, you know, Obviously, it's, it's kind of like when uh, the Tomb Raider series got rebooted. That obviously worked. Mm-hmm. It didn't please all Tomb Raider fans, but it didn't matter. What, what The new way that Crystal Dynamics went with that game worked. Worked, yeah. So, like, that's what I think they're hoping to do here is we're you know they're not obviously rebooting Darksiders. It's very clear they're not doing that. 
Um, which I understand because that, that's some more recent releases. Like Darksiders Two didn't come out that long ago. Um, compared well, to like, plus like it has it already has an established story to it that maybe not everyone knows, but enough people know. It's well, and now like, they're releasing remasters of it, so like yeah, it's they're easier releasing to find the remaster. Yeah, it'd be like, well, why are you guys like you, you're making this known? Why would you reboot yeah. it? Like we we know that if if and when they do. <laughs> A Dark Siders three, it's gonna be a Dark Siders three. It's not gonna be Dark Siders three, Dark Siders. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited for what they're doing. I have no idea what they're doing with these new IP they got. Um, you know, they obviously haven't been very far because they just recently acquired these IP. But uh, I, it excites me in that this company seems that they're highly dedicated to Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And they have some really cool IP under their name. And they previously were making Xbox games. So, like, this is taking, like, a major developer for Xbox and almost flipping the script to Nintendo. Uh, and to me, that's a win. And that's probably because of the Switch, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, whatever's going on with that Switch that we in the public can't know about um, <clears throat> seems to really be winning over third parties more and more as we go here. So, I don't know what these two titles are for the Switch they have going, <laughs> but uh, it seems like two might just be the beginning. They might be planning... Like, years of support here. Hopefully. Yeah. We can hope. I hope. So, so that about does it for our news. Um, There's some, like, few little tidbit things that you guys need to be looking out for. What? Nothing. Go on. I I was getting excited for your tidbits. So, uh, the Legend of Zelda Amiibo just dropped. The the new ones. So, you have the Toon Link to Zelda. Sold on all the ocarina of time link and gosh what was the other one uh, uh oh the 8-bit the yep. 8-bit link 8-bit link yep um so that dropped uh december 10th in five days we get super mario run uh so be on the lookout for that you can actually get that on uh the app store to notify you when that comes out um another big thing that's been if you're if you're a shantae fan shantae and the half genie hero comes out december 13th uh and these are mostly there's there's a lot of other stuff coming out uh that's not nintendo titles but i'm just gonna hit the some nintendo ones and if you've been waiting for it and you missed it uh super mario maker for the 3ds has just come out or came out three Ooh. days ago um a lot of people really like it apparently a lot of people don't really like it a lot of people are complaining that there's no sharing or receiving of games Ooh. that's not through street pass um and finally uh, for those of you with Pokemon Sun and Moon, I think today or yesterday they released uh, the QR code to get Magirna. You can scan that and it'll come right into your game. Uh, but you have to be, uh, you already have to be the champion, which cause I already tried and said you have to beat the game. Um, which I haven't yet. I know, shame on me. <laughs> but there's also, that's what you guys have to look forward to. Yeah, there's and also a big it. update coming to Pokemon Go later. No longer, or, yeah. like this isn't, a, we don't know what the update is. So whatever that rumored big update was before, that could be what this is. But we know it's coming, and we know because of a like they're teaming up with Starbucks for it. So don't know what it well, is, and but it's coming. R- rumors say that it's going to have second gen Pokemon in it. Yes, um, because they've uncovered the, the, the data yep. to set up that. Um, so there's a lot there's there's a lot of stuff to be looking forward to. Um, of course, look forward to January twelfth for our. Hopefully, huge switch blowout. And I'm gonna throw in this this, this underhand this underhanded thing since that's the way the game awards did it. Breath of the Wild won most anticipated game over Red Dead Redemption Two. 
And Overwatch won best <laughs> game of yeah. the year. Just throw. I, I just wanted to quickly throw that in there. One, because it's relevant because it's a Zelda podcast. Two, because like if you blinked, you could have missed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. They just like they barely mentioned it. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll stay away from the Game Awards that, talk since I spent a lot of time on the Nintendo Prime podcast complaining. That Death, Str- Death Stranding trailer, though. Man, Kojima. Kojima's always being Kojima. That's true. So that about does it. Uh, look forward to right after this is our interview with Time's End and Terrible Fate uh, people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, stay tuned for that. I might put a little jingle here. Nate, you want to make a little jingle? Or should I just put music in? A little jingle? You could just put music in. Okay. <laughs> no, no, like... No, I don't have, I don't have no jingle right now. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Bye. Bye. So this is the interview that I promised last week uh, with the crew from the Times End and the Times End short film. Uh, so before we get into the actual interview, why don't you guys tell us a bit about yourselves and what you did and what you what you do on the project? Mike, you want to start? Yeah. So uh, this is Mike. Mike Greer here. Um, the, I directed the short uh, Terrible Fate and also did a lot of the visual effects and compositing three D work three D work that's in the in the short. And um, Jason, who's also here, I'll let him introduce himself, did all the music and sound for the short, but beyond that, has done also a great remix album. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, my name's Jason, uh, and I, I do the Theophany thing, which is, you know, the remix album thing, and the sound on the short film. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, tell us a bit about the project. So, why did you guys choose to do it? How were you inspired? And how did you decide to collaborate on this? Well, we've kind of known each other for quite a while, and I think, to be honest, I feel like it's always been a collaboration, to be honest. Like, on the first album, you know, Mike was responsible for the, the really awesome, like, CG art of, like, the first render that we did, like, of the Majora's Mask. And uh, I think this is sort of just the evolution of that, of trying to do something a little, a little bigger. And just, I kind of never thought they would actually do a full film which is kind of amazing because i was like yeah that would be kind of cool and he's like yeah it'd be kind of cool but I, I just know how much work goes into these cg films that get made and they're it's just insane and the fact that they they went for it was amazing yeah it was kind of after the release of the the first album um times in it, it was you know we were involved in kind of like just involved in the process a little bit but kind of just took a backseat to jason you know the project in general and uh, it was really exciting to see the response from the fans and like how everything came together at the last minute for that first album um, so we knew we knew going in for the second one we wanted to kind of give ourselves a little more time to prepare and make something special from uh, a visual component to kind of marry with the awesome work that Jason's doing from the for the album mm-hmm. and the short film was cool because it allowed us to kind of take bits and pieces of the full album and kind of imagine what sort of visuals you'd be seeing and tell a story that way, um, which is 
you know, something, a different way to kind of approach a, uh, a film, but because we wanted to make sure that it was connected to the music, um, there's a lot of back and forth in the collaboration that happened as he was developing the sound for the album, and then we were developing the visuals for the for the film. Yeah, and to be honest, I changed songs on the album because of what I was doing on the film. Yeah, it was definitely... Like, yeah, like the Lost Woods, Woods of Mystery song would never have ended up sounding like that if I hadn't done that for the film. Mm-hmm. And we tried to work the album cameos into the film as much as possible so that everything felt connected in a way yeah okay so why'd you guys decide to do majora's mask like i'm not complaining i love majora's mask but like out of all the zelda games like more well-known ones like ocarina of time or link to the past why'd you guys choose uh, majora's mask i think to be honest at the time i started the time's end project which was uh, almost seven years ago now i started doing songs for it in 2009 and at that time there was very little fan art for Majora's Mask. I felt like there was almost no musical remixes or arrangements of Majora's Mask stuff. And even the visual art for Majora's Mask, there really wasn't much out there. So I felt like I felt like at that time, Ocarina of Time was getting all the attention, so I, I thought I should do Majora's Mask instead. I think it would be cooler. Um, but that's totally changed now. Now Majora's Mask has so much representation online. And mm-hmm. with this film now, it's just like, crazy the level of art that's out there from Jordan mask and uh yeah i don't know i think it also plays to the the darker tone of jason's music in general um because i think that's why a lot of people were drawn at least me that's why i love the first album so much because it did have that atmosphere and that tone that's a little darker than most zelda games and i think that from for me like working on it visually um that was a cool kind of aspect of the game to explore and i think that's why it was a little more fun, at least yeah. for capturing that sort of dark atmosphere. Yeah, the weirdness and the horror elements mm-hmm. of Majora's Mask are, are so cool and kind of not... I don't, there are some of those elements in other Zelda games, but not to the degree mm-hmm. that they are represented in Majora's Mask, I yeah. think. Why that specific part of Majora's Mask? Like, the, the part that no one saw um, for, the, for the film, instead of doing something more recognizable, like a later scene yeah. um, in the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, we actually... We took a little bit of time to think about what we wanted to show visually, and we knew from the get-go, I mean, it didn't take long for us to figure out that we wanted to tell a Skull Kid story and kind of put our, our own twist on, on the, how that um, all went down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also kind of made a choice not to do something that was less well-known, just because we kind of thought it would give us a little more freedom to kind of take the, the cutscene from the game and... It, take how kind of vague they left his backstory and his character and just yeah. expand upon that rather than trying to do something that um, we've all seen you know, in multiple different fan films or even in the game. Um, so doing something a little more obscure gave us a little more freedom creatively. And I think that's why people enjoy watching the film because it is something that they didn't think about in a certain way or it kind of changes their perspective on the skull kid and kind of maybe how yeah. his character was. I also think that there's like the emotional aspect of it and how his smaller story is in a way very much tied to the bigger story. Mm-hmm. Like this is why the game happens essentially, right? So yeah. his story is the game story in a way. Yeah. And, and you talked about obscure and this is kind of a weird question. Um, but why did you decide to have him take off his beak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not a weird question. Actually, we went back and forth quite a bit on this. Yeah. And we went through a bunch of different designs, uh, visual designs for his character, where we were like, oh, the beak works. Um, but what what actually is the beak, and how is it tied to his face, which is not 
in any way represented as you know a bird or a chicken. It's more like a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it was kind of a, it's a very odd character design. You know, the, the original character design with the beak is, is quite odd. So we, we wanted to keep that, um, but we, we kind of ran into some technical challenges with that design in general, making it cohesive. But on top of that, I think removing the beak gave us some kind of unique twists on his character and kind of the evolution of his of Skulk's design through Orcarina of Time and, mm-hmm. and Majora's Mask. Because um, he doesn't really have a beak in Orcarina of Time. Yeah, it's kind of... It's even more weird. <laughs> I'm not sure what exactly it is. It's very hard to sell with N64 graphics. And then, yeah. uh, and then yeah. it also added a lot of emotional weight to his character. Yeah. Because you know he's even when he doesn't have Majora's mask, he's hiding something. Um, he's trying to change his his appearance. Mm-hmm. And we kind of liked what that did to his character. Um, and then when you see it, it is kind of. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's not on his face. They don't realize that it's attached as a mask until he takes it off. Mm-hmm. And when we were sh- kind of showing it to friends, and like, it kind of everyone's like, "Whoa, what? Yeah. What just happened?" It's a little, dis- it's a little disturbing. It's a little shocking. A little shocking, and that works very well in the context of the film and in the scene that it happens because yeah, it's that's like his most vulnerable moment yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to feel at that moment kind of like, "Oh, sh- you know what's going on yeah, here yeah. with the mask? This is, this <laughs> yeah. is freaking me out a little bit." And it just it all works together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, there was a version of the edit where we we didn't do it. Um, yeah. I remember that. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. They were, they were going to cut that shot. We were going to cut it out. They, were, they, were, they weren't going to cut it. They were thinking about it. Yes. Because we were, we were worried how people were, were going to respond to it. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, some people, I guess they're probably in the comments somewhere, someone who doesn't like it. But I think it's, it was a, it was a fun it's, choice. It's and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I think the whole thing that you did with the, the short film was a big risk. And I think it paid off um, immensely. It's, it's great. Thanks. Um, a lot of people yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the music then for both the album and the uh, short film, what was it like, you know, the, the what was the music writing process like, like voicing for the music and, and about how long did it take to do that? For the film or the album or both? Both. Oh man. So <laughs> the, the second album was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do, I think. Like, I felt like the first album, I spent kind of three years on and off doing stuff, and I sketched out some ideas for the second album, but I think after the first album came out, it was a it was a huge challenge to try to, like, I don't know, build on what that was and try to do something that was as good or hopefully better with such different material. So, like, it's been about four years since the first album came out, so the, the process was, like, a lot of sketching, a lot of, like... Uh, I'm not sure what to do for the Deku Palace, or I'm not sure what to do for this. Like, I have some ideas, but I kind of just have to sketch them out. And I just went through so many sketches and then eventually took these pieces and started to assemble them. And uh, in the end, I, I had to do a lot of, like, collaborating with friends, too, to really achieve, like, the things that were in, like, Oath the Order, like the choirs, and those were <laughs> um, <laughs> stuff I had never done before with, like, you know, live singers. And uh, I have my friend Daniel to thank for that. Uh, he goes by the remixer name of Rosen, and he really went out of his way to try to call all his friends and be like, can you sing on this track? And uh, yeah, for the film, it was really fun, though. Like, uh, I got to work with Ember on sort of just sound designing everything, and it was kind of more of like a dream come true. That that process was a lot more fun, a lot more open, and to be honest, it influenced the, f- the full album quite a bit, because a, a lot of the things that I did for that ended up going into the album and changing it for the better, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, just watching Jason's process 
from the outside in terms of how much effort he put into this album. It really is mind-blowing. Because um, I remember he was talking about, you know, we were going to do this live choir, and I want this sound in this particular track. And I was like, That's, that sounds great. But, you know, like, how are you going to get this choir together? Um, but it's crazy. He pulled it off and, had, and got it done. I had no idea yeah. if that was ever going to pan out. <laughs> Definitely not. Because, yeah, we were going for a very weird... It was, like, very influenced by Ghost in the Shell, which is amazing uh, anime. And the soundtrack is amazing. But but there's, there's like, I don't I can't think of any other soundtrack where that's really, like, a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So trying to find people who could pull off that very weird, twangy, Bulgarian, Japanese-style singing is, like, where would you possibly find people to do that? And I don't know. Yeah, it all came together. And that was done relatively towards the end, like... Yeah, a couple weeks before the album came literally out, literally so much of this album, you know, despite the process being so long, I just feel like it just happens in levels and waves. And the last two months, like everything came changed together, yeah. and everything came together. It's nuts. You mentioned influences, and that was actually going to be my next question. So, um, I guess this applies to both of you because you know everything you do is is um, you know you take different pieces of what you've seen and what you've learned. And put it into it. So I guess mm -hmm. this is a question for both of you guys. So what, who or what are your influences for you know the the sound and the music and then for the film in general? Um, I think for the album, it's definitely there was a lot of Kenji Kawai influence in this album, like Ghost in the Shell, for example, pretty big influence in like the way I treated Termina Field and. I think to an extent even Majora's theme because Majora's theme, although it's not. It's not as much of a focus on this album. The sort of influence of like Japanese elements and like kabuki and horror is like I would say that uh, Takanashi, who's a composer for anime as well, is another big influence. He did like the Naruto Shippuden, I think, series, and he's just amazing. amazing so yeah. I, that's another big influence. I guess you could say Hans Zimmer as well. He's always <laughs> he's always lurking in the background of you know influencing mainly like the textures that I like to explore. I'm very into world music, so world music is another big thing. I'm looking at like music from like Indonesia or Japan or, you know, African world music. A lot of like the Woods of Mystery sort of Lost Wood soundtrack has a lot of like chromatic wood sounds. So it's sort of like it's it's wood but it's pitched, right? So you have like the notes and I really kinda want to explore that for like a very foresty woodland type sound. And, uh, we'll talk about the film. Yeah, so babbling here. Yeah, for, the, <laughs> for the film, yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot of anime influence. Um, the whole sequence at the end with the the mask and the transformation, um, very heavily inspired by various animes. Um, and for film, I mean, we're big like old kind of old school horror, sci-fi, fantasy, like Blade Runner, original Alien. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, this is nowhere near as scary, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, in sort of the pacing and some of the shot choices, you can see some similarities. Um, and then, like, Kurosawa as, as well. But, uh, yeah. we I mean, we just love good movies, wherever they come from. And uh, the same goes for a soundtrack. A movie's nothing without a good soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I would say, like, also, I mean, this is kind of obvious, but, like, there's a lot of cinematography sort of, like, influenced by the game itself. Mm -hmm. like, a lot yeah. of those shots are, are almost one-to-one -one with the game, just, like, much better looking than yeah. more high fidelity. And <laughs> we, stuff. Had, we had a little more to work with than N64, so... Yeah. yeah. Just, but, yeah, we did take some some shot inspiration from the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
what got you guys started in, in what you're doing? Not necessarily the film or the music, but um, got started in music or film in general. Like what, mm-hmm. infl- what sparked that for you guys? Yeah, I mean, actually, um, Jason and I have been make, making films together for quite a, quite a while. We started making them in, in high school, Dude, yeah. and they're quite embarrassing. Now to look when you when you watch them. This is not our first fan film, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> we did a pretty horrible F Zero fan film. Yeah, um, it's beautiful though. So we've been we've been doing it for a, for a long time. Actually, I kind of got into film through Orcarina of Time. Like when I played that game, I didn't really know. It, it was kind of an eye opening experience. I didn't. I had never experienced a game that engaged me on that sort of storytelling level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the time I played it in my life, I was kind of like, wow. I didn't know exactly that I wanted to work in, in film, but I kind of knew that I wanted to Definitely have that experience or give that experience to someone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're doing it through a game or through a film, I think you're connecting with someone on that sort of emotional level. And that's kind of when I wanted to get into it. And then ever since then, never really looked back. Just been working on film and, and games and digital media in, in general. Yeah, uh, to be honest, my story is not that different. I... <laughs> I I didn't actually go to school for music or anything like that. I got into it because I was like, one day I want to do an Orphan of Time remix album. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was involved in this community called osremix.org, and they do a lot of awesome remixing. And, you know, I guess, you know, as a younger dude, I was like, oh, I'd love to, like, participate in this and, like, do my own remixes and see if I can do anything because I've always, I've always loved some of the, the albums they did and... I just was, I mean, they, they kind of encourage you to try, you know, like there's a, a workshop for them and you can sort of like, just be like, yeah, I'm just starting out. Can you guys give me pointers? And uh, from there, I kind of just, it kind of just took over my life and I, I ended up getting more and more into remixing specifically, but then that, that sort of went into sound design and just composition and film scoring type pursuits and game scoring type pursuits in general. But mm-hmm. yeah, to be honest, it was because of video game video games, games. Yeah. yeah I mean Jason Jason's a very creative guy outside of sound and, and music in general he you know, he's a good writer he understands story understands character and I think I mean I think all great composers and musicians have a sense of that as well um, but it's just nice as a collaborator to be able to talk to him about those sorts of things and he gets it he's okay how can I enhance this direction with the music, with the sound, mm-hmm. bring it all together with these elements that aren't in yet. And that's really, I mean, when I was watching the short film, I had I'd seen the edit multiple times and I knew what we were going for from the beginning, but it's not until you see it with the, with Jason's sound and sound design and the music that you're like, oh, oh wow, this, this, is, this is working, this is gonna be great. And you kind of get that moment where you, even though you've been working on it for so long, you kind of get to see it fresh that first time you hear it with sound. and. Um, that's kind of when I knew it was going to be good when I saw that. I was like, oh, okay, people are going to like this. We're good. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love about sound is that um, it really is like half the battle. You know, like the visuals are amazing, but like what, how you feel about something is very much tied to, to what you hear, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. That's why if you change the music to like something totally ridiculous, you wouldn't get any sort of horror effect <laughs> whatsoever, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just fun. So is Majora's Mask your guys' favorite Zelda game, or do you have a different favorite? It's gonna be a tough question. I mean, it's it's a really great one. Um, I know we we have this conversation quite a bit. I think it's either gotta be like top two 
top three for me. But we, I mean, we I really love Wind Waker. It's got a great style, and that game. I don't know. It just every time I play it, I kind of I feel like I'm playing it for the first time. I don't know why. Wind Waker. Yeah, Wind Waker. Yeah. yeah. Wind Waker is ridiculous. It's so good. And I think I mean the graphics maybe are kind of timeless, even though they they're a little dated. The, the HD remake is awesome, but mm-hmm. oh yeah. Um, yeah, the style you can't beat it, and the music is like boom, yeah, just music, so yeah. good. It's so like I don't know, just like vibrant, like colorful, and fun, it's awesome. Yeah, and I, think, I guess Wind Waker is a little dark, like not visually, but when you know the ending when he like stabs Ganondorf in the head and stuff, it's like whoa, that was unexpected. Yeah, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, like right through the forehead, yeah, between the eyes, so intense. But there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, yeah, I'd say Majora's Mask is up there. It's hard to pick. You know your favorite child, but yeah, it's, yeah, dude, it's kind of the kind of the same deal for me. Like it's the big three. It's like Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time, and Wind Waker. I think if I had to be like just brutally honest, I think Ocarina of Time is my favorite. Yeah, I must have replayed that game like fourteen times. Yeah, it's it, it just like it's it was the first sort of semi open world game, and it was just like it was just mind blowing. Yeah, it's definitely an experience. Yeah, for sure. So this is this might be even a more or a tougher question um what is your favorite song from the zelda series how can you ask that oh, question it's <laughs> <laughs> a ridiculous question um jeez i mean what do you choose song of storms song of storms is pretty great song of storms is pretty great i don't know why it wasn't on this album yeah I don't know. <laughs> everyone wants a song of storms i don't, I don't know about yeah i mean i'm gonna remix that if not more than once but yeah but then there's like Wind Waker yeah. and there's like uh, that's a tough I question I can't uh, answer that question I'd say <laughs> Song, of, Song of Storms um, it's definitely one of the up there I don't know yeah best. I mean it's weird though because I've gained so much more appreciation from Majora's Mask like mm-hmm. I think I've remixed Song of Healing twice now and <laughs> every time I do it's Song like a different experience yeah. and there's like new things you can explore about it like there's actually a surprising amount of like depth and how you can approach these songs, like you can, you can kind of do them so many different ways. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really master like Koji Kondo is a master like simple oh melodies that just stick in your head. Seriously, and they have so much depth. I mean, like yeah. even like um, Lost Woods. Like, yeah. That song's ridiculous, and this is the same guy who wrote like Mario. Yeah. <laughs> Super Mario back in the day, like one guy wrote all this. Are you crazy? Well, he's nuts. He's amazing. <laughs> Are there any other games or game series aside from Zelda that you guys would love to work on if you got the chance, like uh, make a film for or another remix album? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even outside of Zelda, you mean? yeah, outside of Zelda, Zelda, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Metroid comes to mind. It'd be oh awesome God, to do Metroid. Yeah, just there's a lot you could do with that from an atmosphere and tone perspective, and also mm-hmm. visually. And I'm sure Jason would just the soundtrack have a field day it would be so fun <laughs> I've, I've to be like to be honest i think about this a lot i've always wanted to mess with dark souls in some way because i think it's so cool but like i haven't and i'm not sure how to approach it because i mean nowadays soundtracks are so amazing that like they're already recorded with orchestras they're already sort of like sound designed and mastered like amazingly so it's a little easier with older games because you have like the creative freedom to sort of interpret them like zelda and like um I love like old RPGs like uh, Chrono Trigger, and um, there's definitely a bunch that I'm forgetting because I'm on the spot. But <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. 
Yeah, I'd say Mega Man's. Mega Man's. Mega Man's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love but to see I, a Mega Man film from you guys. That would be fun. A Mega Man fun. film? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I think there was, uh, there was a Mega Man, like, it, I don't think it was a feature. I feel feature. like there was one, yeah. It wasn't it was a feature. Li- the live action one. Yeah, I yeah. saw a live action something. Long yeah, time ago. Long time ago. I mean, it was, it was, I think it was well done. Um, I think we'd go a little bit different direction. <laughs> but it was good. So. Fan films are always fun to Mega watch. music is appreciated. It's so good. It's like even like old school, like Lufia, man. Yeah. Lufia Nobody would, remembers that game. Lufia would be awesome. Lufia is amazing. Yeah. Its soundtrack is like crazy good. Crazy good soundtrack. Story is good. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have like so much to bring to life because it's all, you know, 2D sprites. So. Dude, Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong soundtracks are amazing. I would love to do more Donkey Kong. And electronic stuff. Like the thing is, I'm also a big fan of Earthbound. I love love the soundtrack for Earthbound, but it's hard to remix it because I feel like when I do Zelda remix, everyone notices, and when I do, I've done only one Earthbound remix, <laughs> and everyone was like, "What is this? What is this? <laughs> what is this weird techno thing it's, you're doing?" It's because you called it. You need to call it Mother. <laughs> People will get it. You might, you might be right about that. No, yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. But so, you guys were talking about soundtracks. Then, what are your favorite game soundtracks, like of all time? I know this might be putting you on the spot with the Zelda song again, but yeah. favorite game soundtracks? Um, uh, Super Metroid for me. Super Metroid is great. Super Metroid, hands down. There's a lot of great retro, like retro-y ones uh, mm-hmm. that I like. Like my go-tos, like Chrono Trigger. Yeah, Trigger. So Chrono good. Cross is so good. Listenable. Actually, in the studio, we we often I don't know why we we play uh, Crystal Chronicles soundtrack. Oh my god, yeah. Crystal Chronicles is amazing. It's the good. soundtrack is so good. And then more recently, like the Last of Us soundtrack, it's like you, yeah. yeah, any time of day you put that in, you're like you transport it to that world. That composer in general, just anything he's ever done, listen to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. listen to it. Yeah, but then also the Metal Gear and stuff. I guess a lot of it is kind of sourced, like mm-hmm. uh, licensed music. But the Jim was very good at picking catchy tunes that make <laughs> the the gameplay you feel unique or different or odd in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of the game industry right now. It's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Anything to tease for the future? Yeah. What was that? What were you saying? Anything to tease for the future? Oh. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there because you guys just came out with this, but is there anything mm-hmm. that you can like drop a hint for? I'm, I'm working on stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're, work, we're, we're, we're actually working we're, on... We are working on another project together, and it's going to be cool. We just can't say anything about it right you now. You can't say anything? I mean, we can't say kind of. It's it's gonna be cool. It's a collaboration <laughs> between Ember and Theophany, and okay, I guess we can't say anything. It's gonna be great. It's okay. It's gonna <laughs> be great. It's gonna be cool. Well, yeah, we're gonna hopefully we're trying to announce something about it soon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to find the get everything together and make it a hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm working on more remix stuff for sure. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do next. I kind of want to do some like <laughs> less intense not like full album things but maybe like singles or eps but you know while i cook on like majora's mask stuff in the background you know mm-hmm. but uh definitely i don't know man it's either like spirit tracks or wind waker or something i feel like i want to do something like really like the opposite of majora's mask and, like <laughs> upbeat and happy and i don't know definitely i i, I really want to do more metroid too man like i love that series it's so good but yeah I think that's yeah. all the questions I have. Awesome. Great. Thank you guys for taking the time to do this short interview with me. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. no problem. Yeah, of course. It's fun. Thank you for uh, having us on, buddy. No problem. So if anybody wants to follow you anywhere, like on Twitter or Facebook, how can they find you? Um, you can follow me on Theopter Remix on Twitter and my Facebook, I believe. I think it has like the whatever URL link. It's just Theophany Remix. Should pull it up somewhere. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, to be honest. I don't yeah, know. just at this point, you can just search for Terrible Fate, which will bring up that's true the album and his website and stuff. That's and true. then for me, it's uh, our YouTube, our Ember Lab YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and our Facebook is where we'll be posting all of our new projects and things we got working. Mm-hmm. Down the pipe. Yeah, that's true. I I guess I also have a YouTube. I forgot about yeah, it. The <laughs> yeah, the Alpine Remix YouTube. Yeah, the Alpine Remix YouTube. Yeah, there you go. It's growing. <laughs> it's growing fan base. Twelve thousand strong. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, thank you. I look you. forward to having you on the show again, if possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would yeah. love to. All right. See you guys All right. later. Thanks. See you later, man. Take Bye. care.